Welcome to the show. My name is James Nielsen Watt, and in this show, we interview interesting, inspiring, and successful people so you can learn the secrets to success and can play the game of life, business, health, and happiness better. And the philosophy we take here is if I'm leveling up my game, you get to level up yours as well. So get ready to listen to some inspiring people who have figured out how to have success in all areas of life, health, happiness, wealth, business. We're gonna be interviewing them in this show so that you can learn the secrets to success that they share with practical advice that you can take and use today. So if you enjoy the show, please subscribe, please leave us a review, and please share it with your friends because if I can help you and you can help others, then we can help more people together and we can all level up our game together. My guest today is Doug Allen, the creator of HBO's Entourage, host of the Victory Podcast, Emmy Writers Guild, PGA and BAFTA Award nominee, as well as BAFTA and PGA Award winner. Welcome to the show, Doug. Super excited to have you on, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'd love it if you can give us some background. Uh, I know a bit about you, but I'd love for our audience to know some more about you as well. Um, what can I tell you? I'm, I'm Doug Allen. Um, I have been in Hollywood and the entertainment business for um, 30 years now, which is crazy because I don't really know where the time has gone. But anyway, I, I started as a stand-up comedian. I've made several independent movies, and then I created Entourage. Um, now I'm doing a couple of podcasts like you are, and I just shot a new show that I'm wearing the hat on right now that we just finished um, wrapped last week. So that's pretty much my life at this point. It's not something, well, let me ask you, is it something that you sort of just fell into? You were kind of mopping floors and decided to start making movies or, or how did it sort of all begin? I mean, to be honest, I was in college and I loved movies and comedy and my whole life, but I never really took any steps to head in that direction. I didn't know anybody in the entertainment field at all. And when I was finishing college, I was supposed to go to law school. And about a month before I graduated, I just started realizing there was no way I could go to law school and I need to figure something else out. So I told my parents I was moving to L.A. to do stand up comedy, which uh, they thought was insane. <laughs> and uh, that's what I did. The day I graduated college, I left for L.A. I knew one person in the whole city and I started from there. Comedy uh, is is a it's a tough gig, right? It's not stand up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a tough gig. And especially for me, I'm not really um, I'm not a, a club person or a person who likes to be out late at night. Um, so, you know, when you're doing stand up comedy as an amateur, when you're 21 years old, you're going to clubs and seeing if you can get a spot at four o'clock in the morning in front of three people. Now, it's hard at any time, but that type of lifestyle makes it even more difficult. And obviously highly competitive and tons of people all, all rolling through that arena, but, um, still fun, fun, it was fun time in my life. Got to meet some good people and, and realize what I wanted to do, which was make films and television. So I started doing that. I got a job at the, I was in the mailroom at new line cinema, which is a big film company. And then, um, I, I raised some money to do a short film and, and, made that film, ended up selling it to Showtime. They aired it actually. And uh, I used that to get into film school. So I went to the American Film Institute for a year, uh, came out and made my second film, which was a, a little independent movie that we sold and still plays around the world today, which is wild. And then just kept going from there. What was the, the transition point for you into 
coming up with Entourage and creating it and, and then actually getting it made. Like that would have been interesting. Well, I mean, I, I had made a couple of movies already that, that both were independents that sold the studios. And then um, my manager and he represented Mark Wahlberg also. And I, I knew Mark for years and they were just talking about Mark used to follow his friends around with a camera. And they came to me and said, uh, we want to do a scripted show about Mark and his friends. And that's kind of where it started. Um, I obviously had to kind of make it my own and think about, you know, how I could relate to that world, which is not a world I really was familiar with. I'm not really an entourage member or someone who likes to live off of anybody else. And I had to bring my own spin to it, which uh, Mark was great in allowing me to do that. And, you know, we then went and pitched it to HBO, which which bought it. And then it took about two years of writing and rewriting and doing it over and over and over until they finally said, okay, let's go. So were you surprised with how, how successful it became? You're always surprised, you know, with, with what's going to happen. The movie I had done before Entourage Kissing a Fool was an independent movie that got picked up by Universal Studios. And for about five minutes, I was the hot comedy guy in town and everybody was offering me all this stuff. And then the movie was released and didn't make the amount of money that people wanted. And I couldn't get any job. So I was surprised by that and equally surprised by the success of Entourage. I mean, uh, when it started, you know, HBO uh, was really the Emmy winning, show, you know, network that was making all this high art. And, you know, the night before we aired, the the executive that I'd been working on the show with for two years told me to prepare myself for terrible reviews because this show is not, you know, kind of on the level of what they do. And uh, so I, I woke up the next morning thinking I was going to be a panic. And then the, the New York Times said we were the smartest show on TV. So, uh, of course, that surprised me. <laughs> it surprised me what she said and it surprised me what they said. But, you know, you find a middle ground. I think I've always been confident in what I do. You can't control how people react to it. I don't necessarily look at at um, some things I did that people liked is better than some things that I did that people didn't like. So I kind of try to balance it to the best of my ability when really the truth is, is most of why you want all that success is so you can keep going and you can keep working and you can provide for your family and your kids and everything like that. So I think it is always surprising to see the reactions to things that, you know, people work really hard to make television shows and movies, even bad ones, you know, not a lot of shows get made by people going, ah, I don't give a shit. Um, so, you know, a lot of time and effort and passion goes into almost everything that you're going to see on TV, a lot of money as well. So it's, uh, it's interesting to see what people say and what they don't say, you know? Well, that's true, right? You're, you're putting in a ridiculous amount of efforts and then the whole thing could just get rug gets pulled out from under you because some people just don't like it, yeah. you know, at that that season of the world at, you know, at that time. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, culture shifts like happen. I mean, that happened with us when the movie came out. I mean, the world was the world. I don't know if it's the world was changing or the, the media was certainly changing and, and attempting to change the world to the best of their ability. So I think, uh, you know, while we benefited at a lot of times from the culture, when we were on the air, it started shifting and then it changes and you got to adapt and you got to figure out what to do, you know? It's a weird duality because like you said, you're, you don't want to be creating it for others. It's your own passion. You're doing it for you. And if you're always yeah. focused on what they're going to think, you know, your, your happiness is in other people's hands, but at the same time, you're literally in an industry which has to satisfy the audience yeah. at the same time. 
Yeah. I mean, look, I've, I've, I feel good about the fact that I've never written for anybody else except the people who are paying the bills because you have no options. So, you know, uh, I've never thought, Oh, I wonder if an audience will like this. I try to entertain myself. Then I let a trusted group read it and give me their thoughts and I'll adjust it as such. And then obviously if someone's paying you, you have no option. You either listen to them or you don't make it, you know, it's just that simple. So HBO had a lot of input on Entourage pilot for sure. Some of it great, some of it not so great, but it ultimately led to where we were. So, so did you said that the the movie didn't didn't hit so well? What was the what was the intent with the movie uh, coming in? Well, you know what? I hate to even say it didn't hit so well because I'm like, you know, and I talk about this all the time. But I'm sitting here with the the test scores from the movie are next to me, which means the studio gets a, theaters together, they bring people in, and they test them. We tested through the roof. The president of Warner Brothers told me frame this, which is why it's framed, because you'll never get this good a score in your career. And then the exit polls for the weekend, which means uh, people walk out that paid their money and they check uh, what they thought of the movie. We were the highest exit poll of the weekend. Uh, we beat the movie that we got crushed by monetarily, but the people who went and paid actually liked it. But what happened was the critics I mean, they just went after this thing. All the critics that loved Entourage suddenly thought this was something different. And the truth is, I didn't want to do a movie in the first place. But as a, if you liked Entourage, there's nobody who's going to tell me that the movie was not in line with that. And uh, I always like to think, I know you're in New Zealand, but Australia, we were the number one movie for two weekends in a row. And the Australians, who I love, you know, just like you guys, they appreciated it. And I also think our core audience appreciated it. And I think that, the shame for me is, number one, we didn't see the Me Too movement coming. And every review was about misogyny and white privilege and all this shit that, honestly, I didn't even know what they were talking about when it came out. And now I see that they, you know, this this group of, of people, they definitely started moving the needle in, in this direction. But it started when we came out, it was probably two years before the Me Too movement. But you can, you can read the reviews and really feel that something is happening. And, and so that, that was interesting, but the movie was a real attempt to be uh, as close to season one of Entourage as possible. And I still stand by the fact that I think it was to me, even though Entourage and, and I was very, uh, it was very important to me to shoot it as cinematically as possible when we were on the air, that it really looked like a big movie as opposed to a small TV show. But at the same time, I never wanted to make a movie. And if HBO max would have been out, at that time, we would have been released on HBO Max, and I think the movie would have been wildly successful. So it'll it'll always bum me out, but timing is you know you you got to deal with it, and you gotta you gotta work with what you got. So, hundred percent with Entourage, I'm assuming one of your most successful endeavors. What was the hardest part of that success? So you've you've you're doing your other things which are doing well, and then you do H uh, you sorry you do Entourage which blows up what was the hard part of success related to that i mean i hate when people talk about their hard parts of success there's no hard parts of success you know um writing for me whether it was entourage where i'm making a ton of money or whether it was the show that i just did that i wrote on my own for free and i'm going to make it myself they're hard writing is hard at least for me and that's why i say whether people ultimately like it or not the effort goes into it either way. I've never written a script that I was just like, here, here you go. So it's it's a lot of work. And production for me has always been easy. When you can get on the set with the right cast, 
and a script you feel good about, that's a joy. But the writing process of coming up with, let alone 96 episodes, even one episode is always challenging. So, you know, as I started this new show now, I'm already having nightmares about the, the rest of the scripts, which don't exist, because that to me is the most challenging part of any show or movie. The blank page is where you start. And there is nothing without filling that in and filling it in properly. So it sounds like something that I do, which is is really trying to detach from the outcome. Like when people talk about the difficulties of success and this and this, it's I think it's because they're enrolled in what uh, is coming of the actions rather than just right. being in the actions, doing the things, enjoying the process and whatever comes yeah comes but i'm right. detached from the outcome because for me if yeah. i'm attached to the positive you can't help but be attached to the negative yeah. and so if i want to not be affected by the negative i got to detach from the, the positive so to speak yeah i mean i think i think obviously if you can do that you can do that you know when i was younger obviously there were a lot of things i needed money you know a lot more than i needed today so you are more anxious and you are more desperate for things to work out but the new show that i just shot that was my entire you know, mindset was to enjoy every minute of it and to not worry about what happens next and to not worry about what anybody thinks of it and to do the best we can. And so far through the process, this has been the, the most rewarding experience of my life creatively. So I think if you can do that, obviously, I think the work will actually get better as well, but your life will get better because when you say what was the hardest part of Entourage, it was just keeping it going and not Again, there's people who run television shows in their sleep and they can do 7,000 episodes. And you have these lunatics like David E. Kelly who can do nine shows at the same time. It's really not how my brain works. And I, I kind of am focused on one thing and one mission at a time. And, um, you know, it, it's challenging to come up with stories, especially as you go on with the show. You know, it gets harder and harder to make things unique or original. But I think every show has that challenge. But Again, the writing part is the hardest part of the whole thing for me. What is your creative process? Like, do you go out and get inspired by things? Do you sit in a dungeon somewhere? Like, what's your way of finding that? You know, I it's, it's hard to say. I think for writers, like, I don't really believe in writer's block. And I think that sitting down at a computer and typing is the way to go. And no matter what you're doing, if you start typing, things will come. And I don't go seeking out inspiration. I'm very observant. That's how I was with stand-up comedy. It's why I think I, I was able to, to show Hollywood in such an accurate light because I am observant of what's going on and I don't really live it. Like I didn't live the entourage lifestyle. I've never, never been that guy. I've never been the partier or the club guy or any of that stuff. So I think, uh, I watch things and I watch them carefully and I listen and, um, and I see things. And for the last two years, I've been doing a podcast and that essentially was my life, which Entourage was my life as well. Not a movie star, but struggling in this town, seeing all the bullshit that goes on. And now as I've done this podcast, I've seen the, the whole way Hollywood has kind of shifted, which one of the reasons I didn't want to go back in. Everybody's been asking me to do another version of Entourage for years but one of the reasons I didn't want to go back in is I wanted to see something that would be really different. And I think the time now of Hollywood, of movie making, of celebrity is so different than it was in 2003 that I'm actually got motivated and inspired to do this new show. So, but I, I, I don't seek it. I guess I let it come to me, you know? So with that transition, what, what can you tell us about your new show? So the new show is, um, 
It's really a, a look at what I've been living for the last couple of years, which is doing podcasts. But I got Charlie Sheen and Kevin Dillon and Kevin Connolly. Um, they're going to be playing themselves, all three of them. And it's going to be, you know, everyone's like, oh, is it Curb? And Curb, I love. Larry's one of my idols, obviously. But uh, this is going to be the way Entourage was realistic in the first season. Some people actually thought it was a documentary when they didn't know who the actors were. They were like, "What? what is this? And you know, I feel proud about that because it was so highly scripted, but this is going to be so ultra real and authentic to the lives that we're living, that Charlie's living, Kevin Connolly, Kevin Dillon. Kevin Connolly started a podcast studio about four years ago, and he's this, you know, actor who's now transitioned to be this businessman. And he's running this world that he's trying to figure out and dealing with all of these kind of crazy celebrities coming into his world now. So I think it's uh, I think it's going to be really, really interesting. You know, what's your expected sort of launch date? When, when we don't have a launch date because we just shot a pilot. I, I came up with the money myself. We wrote it ourselves. I got 40 people from entourage, crew, cast, et cetera, to come back and and work. And uh, we just shot a pilot. So now uh, we ra- we locked the cut yesterday. We'll start doing a temp sound mix and then I'll start showing it to people. So I have no launch date. Obviously, we have to get uh, someone to pick it up and then write however many more episodes and shoot them. But uh, right now we have one episode that I couldn't couldn't be happier with. You know, I think we really did something, something special, something different. And I think people are going to see that. So we'll find out, though. That's exciting. That's exciting. Yeah. Um. So tell me about your podcast. Yeah, so I, I have two. But Victory, the podcast I do with Kevin Dillon and Kevin Connolly which Connolly's idea was to do an entourage, you know, re- revisit show, which I was not all about doing that. And um, we found a happy medium. That's why we went with victory as opposed to the entourage podcast. But we talk about everything from our lives to the show, to new things, to this new show that we're working on. We started doing live shows. I mean, we did a, we did a couple of sold out shows, like live uh, talking, like doing a podcast on a stage. So it's been really uh it's been pretty amazing and the response is has been pretty great. I think we I think we just hit like 12 or 13 million downloads and um it's been uh, kind of a, a resurrection for all of us. I think it's given a chance for people to see who we are. We've brought all the cast members from Entourage back all the women so they can talk about what the show really was and not the bullshit narrative that, that I was discussing earlier and how how much the show changed everybody's lives and all of that stuff. But it's really like Entourage it's three good friends sitting down to talk and do various different things. We've had great guests, you know, from Charlie Sheen, who's going to do it next week again. So we can talk about this show to uh, some of the best athletes in the world, um, to all the cast members of Entourage, Mike Tyson uh, and some other people. So how do you see podcasting fitting in these days? Like I've been, you know, I'm young as I say this, right. But in the kind of business space and when I was, uh, scrounging around, finding information on how to grow my businesses. I was always hearing about podcasting and people doing podcasts. And then it sort of started to to really take off. How do you see it sit now? Do you see it being a bit of a trend for a lot of celebrities and people to get it and start podcasts that are going to just die off? Do you think it's a, sort of a new medium? Where do you see it? Well I, well, I think like social media was, I think this is another way. What, and, and again, what's, what speaks to the new show is, the new way of communicating and the new way of branding yourself and the new thing that people want almost more than they want to watch Brad Pitt in a movie. They want to know about Brad Pitt 
who he is in real life. They want to know what's going on behind the scenes of his life. So I think that a podcast, and again, whether you put on a performance or whether you are authentic to who you are, I think it's another avenue for people to find you, no matter what it is, whether you're a celebrity, whether you're a dentist. I think it's another way for people to get information about you and find out who you are. So I don't think it's going anywhere. I only think it's going to grow. Obviously, the numbers are so ridiculous that it's hard to find, you know, a podcast. There's 10 million of them on Apple, I think, or something absurd like that. But at the same time, I do think it's a really uh, essential tool. I think athletes, it really gives them a forum that they can speak to without having to worry about how the press will change it. And I, I mean, it's just all of it to me that's happening now. Um, while social media has a lot of scary elements to it as well, obviously, everything that's happening now is giving people a chance to voice who they are without being filtered by somebody else. Now, I know like the censorship censorship that they're trying to do and the things that are happening, obviously not speaking about that. But I think that uh, we're in a good time for people to be able to be heard who might not have been able to be heard even five years ago or 10 years ago. And a lot of the Hollywood gatekeepers, the agents and the studios are becoming less and less relevant because people are just able to create without them, you know? So I find it really interesting. No, I, I, I agree. I, I enjoy the fact, and I'm seeing that with some people that I follow starting shows and, and whatnot. And, and there is, there isn't that same level of uh, creative barrier. You can just go and start a podcast, buy a mic, you know, interview some people, have some chats. And, and you spoke to a really good point uh, which I agree with, which is that that element of authenticity, right? Yeah. You can actually hear and see uh, what the people that you like to follow are thinking, doing in their lives. And yeah. so you can have a series of movies and then you can have a have the actor on and, and actually kind of meet them a bit more and, and build more connection. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what we do on our podcast. And you get a real glimpse behind the scenes of who Kevin Conley is, who Kevin Dillon is, and, and all the guests that we bring on. So it's it's fun. Do you think that it's, also showing up uh, more as kind of like a uh, a counter to this sort of inauthentic fake news, if you will, censorship, that sort of thing where of course shielded, but now we're being brought back to actually who these people are and we can connect with people. Uh, absolutely. You know, and uh, I've spoken a lot yesterday. I just had a thing. I've got, I've got someone on Instagram, like, you know, making death threats to my kids and Instagram doesn't do anything about it, but they've, censored jokes of mine that they didn't find funny or that they thought were offensive or whatever. And um, I think the podcast, you know, again, Joe Rogan, whether you like him or not, agree with him or not, it's like they can't cancel him. You know, if this was 10 years ago, he, he might be literally unemployable. And now he can speak to who he wants to speak to. We see some of the stuff that happens where the news does censor things that ultimately end up being true, which is extremely frustrating. And they don't seem to have any ramifications for that. So it's a, it's a crazy time, you know, and I think it is a little bit of the wild West and how it'll shake itself out. will be interesting to see. But again, I, I think it's a great time for creative people to have outlets. You know, uh, I do another podcast called Hollywood ways. And I had, um, a big influencer on yesterday. His name, it actually airs today, but his name's Adam Wahid. And, uh, you know, he was an actor who couldn't get a break and he just started making his own videos. And now he's got 30 million followers. I put him in the new show. Bill Maher put him on his podcast. The CBS Sunday Morning does a piece on him. And all of a sudden, a guy who may have quit the business 10 years ago with the same amount of talent that he has, which is a lot, 
And I think now there are just so many ways that you can go do things and, and you can get them out there without needing anybody else. And yeah, I also, to your, to your point though, it is a way to speak against the news. It is a way I love the fact I have critics when they say shit about me, I can now say stuff back. I don't have to sit there and go, Oh, you're some hack in your apartment who doesn't like my movie. And you're going to sit there and trash me, you know, and now you can speak back and it's nice. So. I like it. And, and that's uh, that's what we're seeing with Joe Rogan, right? Uh, there was some issues, CNN, et cetera. And then Joe yeah. can just go, hey, I've got a ridiculous amount of views, more than you. Uh, yeah. Let me say some stuff. And 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 we're seeing that we're seeing the effects of that, right? The, the yeah, well, it's you down. know, it's wild, which who determines who determines what's right? I mean, CNN, which is again, I'm I'm I guess I'm more of a liberal. I hate to say it, but CNN is the biggest full of shit network. And I've been watching them for two years make this country fight with each other every single day to the best of their abilities. And, you know, I think that it's it's a sad place because you do have this kind of joined up group of the mainstream media that kind of almost works together to say the same thing over and over and over and to quiet the other side, which listen, the other side is often insane, but I think that people have to be smart enough. You know, I was talking about like one of the things that Instagram like suspended my account for was I put some joke up that I reposted it. I took someone else's joke about COVID uh, during COVID uh, Arizona beaches were packed. Now you're, you're in New Zealand, but anyone in America knows there's no beaches in Arizona. So it was a joke, obviously. And I got censored for COVID uh, misinformation. There's so much worse misinformation about so many things that, you know, uh, but they decide what works for them and what they want to, what narrative they want to push forward. And, and it's pretty amazing to see. So it's, um, you know, as you, as you get older, you see more things, you notice more patterns and you start to see things and you go, that, that doesn't seem right. I'm not sure why that would be allowed. And then sure enough, uh, it shouldn't have been like there was, things being spoken about the, the, the written case, for example, uh, yeah. that kid. And there was, you couldn't speak of him. You couldn't show any support, et cetera. Where, whichever side you fall down, like I don't want to get, I don't want to get weird about it, yeah. but there was censorship happening that turns out was incorrect. Uh, and the various things that were said about him were true. Um, yeah. And they were caught with their pants down and yeah. it's no ramifications though. It doesn't matter. And, you know, it's but it's the same thing. I mean, I, it's why I, I am down the middle and always have been. I'm a reasonable human. But, you know, Donald Trump, who I do believe is the worst president and the, one of the worst humans to ever lead uh, America. But Joe Biden would get on TV and say, if you get vaccinated, you can't catch covid, even though they already knew that wasn't true. So if Trump would have said that they would have tortured him forever. The Biden thing, it disappeared. That's one of 10,000 things. And it's almost like how similar they are, but Biden, you know, speaks a little nicer, but they both have these fucked up children that the news decided to one torture and one kind of make it go away, which now, you know, even today, there's an article about Biden that the New York Times is finally saying that that stupid laptop was true. And when the election was happening, they were making sure that you weren't going to know about it. And, uh, it's very frustrating because it's hard to know what to believe. And, you know, when we're getting into wars, which I think, you know, look, all good people do not want anyone dying anywhere in the world, but the media can start spreading 
information to get you riled up about things that, you know, we don't know. We know we know we fought in Afghanistan for 20 years thinking we were doing something good there. And we know it did nothing except for cost a lot of money. And they're actually in worse shape than they were before. So um, it, it's it's really a tough thing. And I think the idea that more people are able to communicate is a good thing because it can get the word out that at least there's another side, even if it's made up that you can analyze and you can kind of go, okay, what is the truth and what is the smart thing for us to be doing? And, and do we trust the people that are leading us? So, Well, the, the positive that I see coming out of all of this is that you've got sensationalist media having to, to show up just to try and get ratings. I've, I've read yeah. articles and, and the title was Elon Musk's rocket crashes into the moon. Right. And this yeah. is on a, on a legitimate news site. Yeah. And I go, all right, this is going to be hilarious. And I go and read it and it says, no, no, a part of one of his rockets happens to go into right. the moon. Yeah. It's first time ever, but there's millions of pieces of thing crap in yeah. space and it just happens to be his one, but they're yeah. trying to, to trigger us. Right. You, you're having this because they're trying to actually get views because Rogan's let's say taken them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and I so mean, that's going to die and you're going to yeah. be left with, I think, the only way for them to to survive is actually the, to go back to being truthful news, because yeah. then people will see all the the you know quote unquote crazies and go, "Why well, now I need truthful news?" And they it can just, kind of come it, back. It, to it. It'll just you know what it'll never happen. And I don't know. Again, truthful news is from whose perspective, mm. and sometimes they're not lying, but they're giving you a perspective of what they want you to believe. And, and I know we're going like deeply political here now, but you know, there's no question that the media was biased against police. And there's no question that they built this country for the last two years to hate the police. Now, I think anyone who's intelligent knows there's bad police officers and there's good police officers. I think there's plenty of people who know if they're smart that when fights happen, bad things happen. And chances are, if you are fighting with someone who has a gun, something bad might happen. So I, I think that the idea of that America was willing to allow a defund the police to where the, to the point where people were literally going, we shouldn't have police anywhere. You go, okay, is there, are there really people who believe this or is this some fucking nonsense that is trying to keep us watching the news all the time? And then to watch the other side, watch January 6th and basically dismiss it. You just go, they're all fucked up and they were all fight for whatever they want. But the other side was dismissing burning police buildings down and burning businesses down. And there are literally people going on the news and go, well, who cares if their property gets burned? Big deal. You know, this the, some kid was shot in Iowa last week. I mean, it's it's just a sad thing. And, and you can see very quickly how few people can control the world. I mean, Putin could destroy the world right now. I mean, he really he really could. And he's one guy. And I got to assume, which is why it's so sad. And we see how we build up now. Oh, we hate the fucking Russians. We hate the Russians. Most of the Russians who are probably fighting are just kids who are being told you have no option but to do this. If you don't want to do it, you'll either go to jail or you'll die in this country. So I think it's it's really scary when we have these these fucking nuclear weapons now and you have lunatics like a Trump or like a Putin who just have these egos that you don't know what they're going to do. And I think it's somehow important, at least in, in our country and free countries, to to try to really make sure you're listening to everything and finding out what the what the right answers are. So anyway, let's get back to some comedy because uh, nobody wants to hear me talk about this shit. You know, I am. Um... 
I agree with what you're saying. And I think I want to, for, for myself more than anything, preface the, the true news thing. What I think is most important is exactly what you said, where information is being shared in a way that isn't constantly being tainted or some kind of agenda because the yeah. same piece of news said on a different news channel will be, will be displayed differently because it fits yeah. the narrative of that. That Absolutely. I mean, look at, I mean, I watch this good news movement all the time on uh, Instagram. Imagine that was a TV channel, but then you watch the news and they're like, and it sucks. Police kill somebody, a lead story. Okay. How many people did they arrest that day that they didn't kill? How many people did they kill that were actually just sitting there going, Hey, police officers. So I, I just think that we are creating such a fucked up world. And I don't know about New Zealand, but the United States has certainly come a long way on race in the last 30, 40 years. And I know with unequivocally, I'm certain that the problem in this country is financial inequality, not racism. And I think that there's a large portion of people that are making racism a bigger problem than it was five years ago and making everyone look at each other like you're black, you're Asian, you're Jewish, you're this. But the fact of the matter is the thing that people really want is to be able to feed their children and to live a decent life. And I think, of course, there's always the bad, bad people who just hate people for no reason. But I think for the most part, that's what people are concerned about. And we spend no time on that at all. We spend all this time on, you know, how we can create more issues between each other and cause all sorts of fucking problems. So but I don't know what the answer is, but I I feel like, you know, we see how radically the world shifted in the last three years. So we just don't know what it's going to be like in the next five years, you know, because I think I've seen more cultural shifts in the last five years than in the last 25 years combined. And it's been pretty, pretty wild to see it. And I do think it is stemming from a very certain type of media. And it is an elitist media and a, and a overly educated media that thinks they know better and thinks they know or they have an agenda. You know, that that's the tough thing to really know, because there are a lot of smart people on TV and you can talk about Chris Cuomo or Tucker Carlson. I think they're both complete jerk offs, but they both know exactly what they're doing. They both know exactly how to cater to their audience. They know how to fire people up and they know how to get ratings. And at the end of the day, it comes back to the same thing. I just said it's money and capitalism, while I believe in it and love it, it's a dangerous thing if it's left unchecked because everybody does want to get theirs. And um, people are some people are willing to, to cross boundaries that I personally wouldn't. But, you know, that's what it is. So it's uh, it's very easy to be in sort of an echo chamber and uh, even with yourself and not necessarily actively be doing something. But there's the subconscious passive uh, narrative where we're filling because we know it's uh, like if, I, if I'm being paid lots and lots of money it's very easy for me to just fall into the trap of, oh, it's fine because I'm kind of being reinforced for even if it's not yeah. like a wider conspiracy, it's kind of like this collective unconscious conspiracy. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not, not, I'm not a believer in a, in a pre-written narrative that, you know, XYZ is happening, but I, I, I do see how people work uh, when we're in groups and we tend to allow things to happen that kind of benefit us in some way, even if we in isolation wouldn't agree with it. It's, it's a uh, yeah. interesting. Yeah. For sure. And I think, you know, you can also they can justify it when you watch one side say stuff. I think there is an argument to be said, you know what, we got to convince people of the other side because they're so aggressive in the way they're talking about this. Um, so I, I don't know. It's it's a fucked up system that I don't think I'm going to be able to fix. But um, but hopefully somehow somehow it all works out. Sitting here in New Zealand, um, I'm always because all of my clients are American and uh, I love you guys. But uh, 
it's in, in comparison to, to New Zealand, I'm not going to throw the word crazy, but I am going to say that it's, it's amazing to watch the, how sensationalized everything is uh, in America. Here. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, ESPN sports, watching sports or watching my clients on social media. It's, it's a different level of energy. And I actually enjoy the, the passionate side of things because that's what where the creativity comes from and pushing hard for things that you believe yeah. in. A lot of New Zealand is uh, we have tall poppy syndrome, which is, you know, you don't raise your hand up too high and say that you're any good because you'll get it cut off because we all need to be the same. And so right. there's definitely a, a a difference in in, in the culture, um, pros and cons, but I love watching what you guys are, are doing. Sometimes I'm thinking, holy crap. And uh, other times I'm thinking, you know what it is? It's just, you know, uh, our media and our entertainment are almost intertwined. It's obviously mm. the biggest in the world. And, you know, we do have, for the most part, lack of censorship and where you can you can speak freely. But so much of it is mixed with, is it entertainment? Is it news? And, and what is it trying to do? And it's, there's no way to stop it. And um, who knows what, what we will go to in the next five years. But what I've seen in the last four years has just been the worst I've seen this country since I've been speaking. I know in the 60s, which is before me, civil rights, it was horrible and all this, but I've never seen more people that I know fighting with each other over things they don't even fucking know what they're talking about, you know? And you can really, if you watch the news on either side, you can really start to rile yourself up about certain things and believe they're 100% true, even though we ultimately find out most of them are lying about everything on both sides, you know? So it's a shame. The interesting thing that I've observed in New Zealand is, is the difference is we, we kind of just go with what's being said. And so our government has been telling us stuff for uh, the last two years. And uh, there's so many points along that didn't make sense or turned out to not be true. And, but we've kind of just glossed past it and, yeah. uh, and just kind of continue on and all think that we're going to die. Um, yeah. <laughs> New, yeah. New Zealanders will... <laughs> We'll go to the supermarket. We're all because we've got mandates for everything, right? We're all masked up at the supermarket, and your walks past now. And, yeah, and uh, people will freak out. The COVID thing is a perfect example, and I think we're going to find out in in a few years that like we're all really fucking duped. And you know, while I do respect this disease and and do believe it's very dangerous for people who are vulnerable, I, I just. When I see 20 somethings who are healthy walking around with masks on outside or alone in their car, I don't know what the fuck is going on. And I respect everybody's right to do what they want, but I think they have just been they've been suckered by some bullshit that I really don't even know what the what the end goal is. But you know, if you saw in this country with Omicron, I mean it was obvious from a minute one that it was gonna be weaker. From minute one, we knew what was happening in South Africa, and the news every day was making it. We don't know. We no, we did know. And then they waited, I don't know, two and a half months to go. It actually is weaker. And I'm like, well, we already knew that. So they scare the shit out of you every day, turn you on, make you watch, make you think the cops are trying to kill you. They recategorized uh deaths in New Zealand from COVID by saying anybody who died within 28 days, uh, who's positive is now counted. And so, uh, so instead, even if they got hit by a car, <laughs> well, there was actually a case in New Zealand, a guy got shot and uh, died, but he was found to be COVID positive after. So he was a COVID statistic. And then people were with that one. I, it seemed that people were like, Hey, and so they came out and they said, no, no, we, we are going to change it. It's just currently the guidelines. But anyway, so what they do now is they, they, everybody's COVID and then they break it down and they say, 
you know, probable COVID, maybe COVID, and uh, they just happen to be positive. And and my brain says, well, why are you why are you even telling us that? Because they just they recently changed it, and so there were an extra sixteen deaths or something. But they always say with COVID, they never say from or maybe a contributing factor because right. then you just read this many deaths. Now, in the grand scheme of things, like more people have died from uh, overeating McDonald's uh, in the mm-hmm. same time period, uh, but we haven't shut anything down. No, I mean, uh, you know, again, it's it's I fall somewhere in the middle. I think we we should have tried to shut this down in the beginning. I think we should have oh, sure. tried to get try to get everybody vaccinated, especially people, you know, over 50 years old. But um, but now to me, when the vaccination came out to me, it was it's your personal responsibility now to take care of yourself in whatever way you see fit and they kept telling us the narrative, like I said, with Biden, that, you know, you were going to spread it more likely if you didn't get vaccinated, which I don't think I think is pretty clear that that's not true anymore. And like I said, I rushed to get vaccinated. I believe that it works. Uh, I'm happy that I did it. But if you don't want to get vaccinated, go do what you want to do and and be. But um, but the masks, I just got off a plane and wearing a mask. I just I it's so ridiculous. And then like, oh, you take it off when you eat. It's just it's all stupid. And what kind of masks I've been saying for two years? I'm like, I know this fucking paper mask does not work. And the CDC, which the fact that anybody I know still goes, well, the CDC said I'm like, who the fuck is the CDC? They're like a bunch of government hacks that for whatever reason are always behind everything, you know. But anyway, um, what else are we talking about here? <laughs> Well, I I want to I want to transition uh, here a little bit. Where can our audience uh, find out more about what you're working on and, and and follow you and check out your shows? So we really we we really go in detail. We did a live podcast from the set last week on uh, Victory the Podcast and Hollywood Ways uh, with a Z. Uh, we talk about all the details of this production again. Not a lot of people have done this. We're making an independent pilot that we're paying for funding, casting, doing everything ourselves. And now we'll figure out what's next. But we kind of went all in and, and and did it. And we talk about every detail on both of those podcasts. Um, Charlie Sheen will be on next week talking about how it was coming back. He hasn't worked in five years and and what the whole process was like. So we we go in depth, but it's also a good time. It's just like a lot of fun with your friends and, you know, whatever. So that's it. Um, last question, uh, and, and I love asking everybody this because everyone gives their own unique spin on it, but what's the most important thing that you ever learned? That I ever learned? I don't know that I've learned it. I try always. And I mean, it's cliche, but enjoy it all because I don't mean to be political again, but as you see in Ukraine or you see in Syria or you see in the Congo, like we're very fortunate to live in the places that we live. I'm very fortunate to get to do what I do, but you never know. You know, my friend Bob Saget died three months ago out of nowhere. And you never know when it's over. And I think the most important thing you can do is, is enjoy everything you're doing and find things that you love and, and try to do them to the best of your ability. And don't no, get a shelter dog. <laughs> I guess they bark too much. No, I am. Um, I, I, I love that. Enjoy it all because you're right. Like, Five years ago, wherever you are now and, and having, you know, quote unquote problems, you were wishing that you would be having the ability to have those problems, you know, is, is the thing that I try and live, uh, live yeah. by. And uh, it, it's true. I've got, I got two kids. One of them's three. One of them's one. Both of them are a pain in the ass. Uh, yeah. uh, two boys, full of energy, love them. But 
at the same time, when it's tough, if, if you're not able to enjoy that, you, I'm going to look back and I'm going to go, yeah. man, now they're just big and sweaty and even more annoying. And, uh, and I miss their little baby faces. So I've got yeah, to so yeah, my, my baby just opened the door. She knows I'm on a podcast, but she still had to come in. Right, Maya? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, you know, and that with the kids, I mean, you'll see. You won't believe, like, again, it's cliche. You will not believe how fast it goes. And you won't believe, like, what the hell just happened? You know, my son was on Entourage. Uh, my daughter was on once or twice also, but my son played Ari's son and now he's 20 in college and like, you know, it, it's bizarre. So yes, I think the, the thing I've, I've tried to learn, <laughs> I know it's the right thing is enjoy it all. Be a good person to the best of your ability and, you know, drown out the noise. There's a lot of it in the world all over the place. And, you know, that doesn't mean you should ignore it and you should do the best you can to be a good person and do as much as you can for whatever, you know, like I donated my fucking few hundred bucks to Ukraine and to the dog shelter and to this. Hopefully it helps. I have no idea, but there's only so much you can do. And I think one of the things I try to live by is like really do around you first, really focus on the people and the, and the world around you and try to make that better because we can't have that big of an impact on the entire world, unfortunately. And we have to, to watch things happen for whatever the reasons are they're happening. And, and at some level, pray that something gets better for whoever's going through this shit, you know? So. hundred okay. well, percent. Doug, I really appreciate you for coming on. It's, it's been, you got it, man. Be good. I'm glad I found you. Cause I was looking for this message. I was like, where is that message? Where do I find this? So anyway, be good. And hopefully I'll get to New Zealand soon. I'm planning on Australia for sure in 2023. So, but yeah, let's see if they'll let you know. In. Yeah. yeah. Well, I hope so by then, but all right, take care. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Everything shared will be in the description of the episode. So you can go and grab that. Now, if you enjoyed the show and you want to listen to more, please subscribe because every week we're releasing new episodes with inspiring people, successful people, so you can level up your game. So subscribe and also leave us a review. We'd love to hear feedback about the show and your thoughts and opinions there as well. Now, if you want to have more success, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your business, we run live trainings every single week where you can get access to me to coach you through everything from health, wealth, success, business, we're doing topics on all things that you need to live a better, more inspired and successful life. Live trainings every single week. Just visit jamesnielsonwatt.com forward slash live and you can get access to that now. There's also a ton of resources that you get for just listening to the show. All of that will be in the description. So if you are watching this on YouTube, check the description. If you're listening to this episode, check the description. We've got a load of resources there for you to have more success in your life, whether it's relationships, investing, or in business. I'll see you on the next episode. And as always, subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends because there's somebody else that needs to be hearing this, and maybe you're their opportunity to help them level up their game.